Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. All right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are back to our one of our favorites, uh, Nicolas Cage and his new movie, Willie's Wonderland, uh, directed by Kevin Lewis, written by Geo Parsons, it is about a drifter named The Janitor who finds himself in an abandoned kids amusement park where all of the animatronic animals have come to life and are out to kill him and it is a bloody ridiculous good time uh it's available now on vod and also i believe playing at some drive-ins and things like that across the country uh but you should check this movie out because it is very ridiculous and very fun uh and it's as we talk about in the conversation it's one of those movies where you hear that description and the movie is exactly what you think you're going to get so if, if that sounds good to you then uh, then you should check it out. Joining me for this conversation, first time on the show, it's Daryl Edge from the Cage Rage podcast, and I was so happy to get a Nicolas Cage aficionado joining me for this crazy, ridiculous movie. So that is coming up in a second, but as always, I'd like to remind you to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. We're, of course, on all the major podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, all of them. Whichever one you listen to podcasts on, go ahead and click that subscribe button. And if you like what we do here, you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. You could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show and have already had a few good threads going on Willy's Wonderland, so... Lots of uh, cage talk going on in the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces group. So, with that all said, let's go to Willie's Wonderland. Alright, so joining me for what is sure to be a fun little conversation here about one of my favorite things to talk about, Nicolas Cage. Uh, <laughs> we've got <laughs> we've got Daryl Edge from Cage Rage Podcast. Daryl, how's it going? I'm so well. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure it is to be here. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you're able to join me for this one. Uh, this is this is a very interesting movie. Uh, it, we'll get into how successful it is at carrying out this uh, this this idea it has run with of setting Nicolas Cage loose to uh, 
tear apart a whole bunch of big stuffed animals. But we'll get into that as we get into the conversation. Uh, it is your first time on the show, so I'd like you to you know let let our listeners know a little bit about you and your podcast. Sure. Uh, well, my name's Daryl Edge, um, as very kindly introduced by David. Um, I run Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. Um, pretty much does what it says on the tin. I've been going through the chronology of Nicolas Cage's films uh, from the 80s up until now. Um, jumped at the chance to talk about Willy's Wonderland because Cage, being Cage, attacking animatronics, what's not to love about that? Uh, because he is, in my humble opinion, the greatest actor of all time, and you can't tell me that I'm wrong. Um, if you have you know, any opinions on Cage, I'd love to hear them. I, yeah, I mean, I love him too. I, I, I love him when he does, uh, shall I say, good movies, and I <laughs> love him when he does this insane shit too. Uh, so I, I'm very excited uh, to talk about this one. I, I will say, obviously, you're looking forward to everything Nicolas Cage related, but was this movie specifically one that like, you were like, oh yeah, this is going to be good when you first heard about it? Um. I mean, I will be the first to admit I'm incredibly biased when it comes to Nicolas Cage. And as far as I'm yeah. concerned, he's never made a bad film and you can't prove mm -hmm. otherwise. <laughs> Rotten to my eyes. But yeah, I was so excited when this, when this was announced. I've been following this. It feels like, I suppose, during lockdown as we're recording, time has no meaning anymore. What sure, is, <laughs> sure. What is minutes? What is days and weeks? Um, but just seeing some of the... Uh, the production stills that come out of this, and just the uh, just the idea of the film where it's Cage beating stuff up, I just kind of thought, you know what? Coming out of twenty twenty, the year we've had, I think, I think all of us in a way just need something mindless. You know, we don't as much as I would have loved to have watched this at the cinema. Um, oh yeah, not really an option here in the UK at the moment. Um, this was this was just perfect. Like sit down. Forget about everything for 90 minutes. Um, so I was very, very excited to get into this one. Yeah, the, the big question for me going into this one, and I, I'm sure this is something that comes up a lot for you. It, when you get a Nicolas Cage movie where you're being promised, you know, crazy Cage, you know, you're, you're being promised this is going to be Cage at his craziest, you know, whether or not that delivers, whether or not this movie is going to hold back in any way, or if it's just going to be completely batshit. And <laughs> yeah. I, that's what I wanted, you know, it, the, the premise of Nicolas Cage, uh, tearing apart a whole bunch of these big stuff, animal animatronic creatures, uh, I want that to be crazy. I don't want that to hold back in any way. And I would say uh, to a degree, it is pretty damn successful in that <laughs> there is a lot of crazy in this movie. Uh, and, you know, we get into spoilers on this show, so don't worry about holding anything back. Uh, first thing, you know, and then we'll start getting into some puzzle pieces, but I just want to just touch really quickly on the idea that they made him a silent protagonist in this movie is is such a uh, kind of stroke of genius, I think, in playing with expectations of what you're going to get. I mean, he still grunts and stuff like that, but you know, you maybe expect a little bit more out of him dialogue-wise, but the fact that they don't give it to you could have backfired, and I think it becomes one of the most interesting aspects of the movie. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, by the time your episode goes up, I've sort of recorded an episode over on my podcast. And looking into this, Geo Parsons... Uh, before Cage came on board, he was going to sort of self-star in his own film as the janitor, which in mm -hmm. a lazy way, he said, well, that's why I gave myself no lines, um, which I think 
I would have done exactly the same thing if this was uh, if this was my film. Very smart play. Um, I think it works though. I've seen like a lot of takes on this. You know, some people have really been into it. Some people just haven't really enjoyed the silent approach uh, that hmm. his character, just known as the janitor, has taken. But I think it works. Um, you know, this is a film where he has one objective and that's just to get his car fixed um we don't know anything about him before the film we don't know anything about him after the film we don't really know anything about him but i think it kind of works in an almost video game create a character way where you can i guess you can kind of project yourself into the sure. character in a certain way um and i think i know they'd said about they tossed back and forth some ideas of um giving him some quippy one-liners but ultimately decided that it wouldn't work um and i you know i personally think that was for the best i think it goes to show sort of the versatility of cage as well and this is me going straight into sure. cage defense mode no one's offended him yet but i'm like <laughs> please give, give him a chance well i i agree though i agree he's he's a fantastic actor and he is choosing these roles where he gets to do crazy, ridiculous, silly stuff. And so maybe that comes across to uh, more casual movie watchers as this guy is bad because he's, in, you know, these kind of bad-ish movies, which as I know you said, they're not bad. But <laughs> let's, you know, but uh, <laughs> but based on these choices, though, I think it maybe gives people the wrong impression. He knows what he's doing here and he is, he is making choices. Oh, absolutely. And he's never made a bad one. And I can't stress this enough to your listeners. Um, but again, the choices for me work. And as you said, he only um, grunts. Everything else is physical and facial mm. expressions. And again, for me, for the most part, it works, you know, to still convey that story, that character through just um, body language alone. It's not... Um, not the easiest thing to do, you know, when you've got no dialogue at all. And I sort of, you know, applaud it. It may seem like a safe, obvious choice when you sort of know the reasons, but um, it worked for me. And I, you know, I'm I'm here for it. It's I think now with them selling uh, Woody's Wonderland shirts, maybe we're going to see quite a few janitors out there this Halloween. Um, hopefully, they'll still stand in the UK, and I can janitor up as well. Um, they Give should sell like a words. five pack so you could keep uh, replacing your shirt every time it gets dirty. That would be <laughs> a nice uh, little tie in. <laughs> I mean, I think I was keeping like punch count and shirt count in this film. And I think he had, I think it was four shirt changes and eight cans of punch that he went through. Nice. Um, I was watching this with my partner as well. And she said, um, because punch is a caffeine drink, in her own words, she said, he must be off his tits. Um, oh. <laughs> I think that might explain. I think if I was, you know, eight Red Bulls down, there are there any energy drinks available? If I was mm -hmm. eight energies down, maybe I'd start attacking animatronics as well at four in the morning. Who's to say? Even if they weren't there. Yeah. <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? Who knows? Oh, man. Well, you know what? Let's start getting into some puzzle pieces. And usually I'll, I'll ask my guest to go first, but you touched on something that I want to kind of get out of the way here first. So I'll actually yeah. go first and bring it up uh, before getting into some actual movies as puzzle pieces, which most puzzle pieces are. Uh, I want to talk quickly about video games because yes. I think that that is a huge influence on this. Uh, maybe not specific games, although I don't know, maybe if you have any in mind, you know, go for it. But 
it's more so uh, video game staples, um, tropes within games, things like the timer on his watch that is set. It's almost like an arbitrary amount of time that he has to like complete a level, whichever room it is that he's cleaning. Such a video game thing. And then a boss fight being, <laughs> you know, fighting one of these monsters after he yeah. finishes cleaning that environment, uh, eating the food and drink to replenish himself. And then also once he starts that next level, like we were just talking about with the shirts, he switches his shirt and then it's just like starting from scratch with, you know, not a scratch or a stain on him. Um, there's so many little things in this that just feel like a parallel to video games. And I think that is such a fun thing as a gamer, a lifelong gamer. Uh, it, it definitely gives this movie a, a, a special something that kind of tips its hat to that kind of video game world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one, the first time I watched it through, you can't not see at least some influence of video game culture in there. I mean, obviously yeah. replenishing with the punches, going back to full strength. Um, I mean, based on a lot of the kills, which I think I think Cage kills every um, animatronic bar one, uh, which most of the kills are very Mortal Kombat. Um, he's ripping out like metal animatronic neck spines, um, whatever you want to call <laughs> those, um, curb stomping gorillas into urinals, oh, um, yeah. smashing heads against uh, walls as well. One of the animatronics he kills ninety nine. He uses the sword for. I thought like when that happens, like that's so video game right there. And Hell like, yeah! Again, I've got to give a shout out to my my partner. When she watched it, she pointed out why didn't he keep the sword? And I was like, oh, um, ah, good point. Uh, <laughs> but but also he just puts cans of um drink in a knapsack and just beats the uh, ever loving crap out of people. So I don't think he needed it. Um, because sure. he's, he's just this ultimate, <laughs> this ultimate badass with no backstory. Not that you need any for a film That's like right. this. Um, but it kind of made me um, think that oh, I wish this was a video game. Um, in fact, it, it was a puzzle piece. I'd sort of was on the fence about putting down. Um, mm -hmm. in the kind of aspect of um, video game film beating bosses to get to the big boss. And I was kind of looking at uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world here. Um, okay. In that aspect of being... Now, obviously, Cage isn't falling in love with anyone at the end or fighting for any hearts, but... Sure. Um, it, outside of Mortal Kombat, it was one of the most obvious ones for me that had, um, you know, the big video game references... We're leveling up. We're getting towards an end goal. Willie Weasel being the big bad boss at the end. Um, evil, <laughs> evil X number number seven, number eight. Dare I say? Sure. <laughs> um, but just, just loves. Um, it's just, just something. You know, the whole film just so big, dumb fun for me. And um, beating up animatronics. I don't know. That ticked a box I didn't know needed ticking in me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I like that bringing uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world into this as a puzzle piece. I think that that's that's a great one and goes, you know, neatly right along there with talking about video games, because obviously both movies that are so heavily influenced by video games there. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's that's a great first one there to go with. Um, I'll move on to another one. Uh, one of the first things that I thought of because of the um, the whole premise of Nicolas Cage has come to this town, he needs his car fixed and these people, you know, they don't really, they're not upfront with him about what's going to happen inside this Willy's Wonderland place. But basically the idea is if he survives the night, he's going to get his car fixed. And so I thought of the 1959 classic House on Haunted Hill 
which was also the basis for a lot of other things that have come since in the world of <laughs> horror. But but just the idea of these guests being invited into this haunted house, and if they survive the night, they win money. Um, that That's kind of the journey that Cage is on here, uh, <laughs> except for much more uh, comedic and ridiculous and over the top. But um, yeah. so you could almost maybe say a scary movie, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, puzzle piece. definitely. <laughs> definitely the influence there. I mean, this is something I think from when the film was announced. And I think it's one of the things that came across it in the fact that I think the film knows what it is. I don't think it's trying to be um, to be anything else. And sometimes mm-hmm. I look at the reviews and then again, this is the cage defender in me coming out. Um, you know, some re- reviews, I think you look at this film and this is quite so the epitome of the film that is what it says on the tin, does what it says sure. on the tin. I don't think you're going to come out of this and um, have any deeper read between the line messages about family bonding or <laughs> or anything like that. Maybe just drive a bit slow when you're on a highway. Um, if yeah, <laughs> if you're going to learn if you're going to learn anything at all. But definitely, there's a lot of horror influences in there, and see um, a great one you've brought up there makes me think. You know, if I was, would I have ended up being a janitor and being on staff if I was in that situation? Probably, and I probably wouldn't be here talking to you. Um, yeah. I don't think I would have made it through the night. Yeah, I don't think we would have. It takes somebody like uh, Nicolas Cage to survive this. Like, Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage, so, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so what do you got for your next piece? Um, so, again, sort of touching on, I think, a lot of horror influences here that you can sort of pick out. So a fair few I've got noted down. I think one of the... Um, most obvious ones I picked up uh, would actually be Child's Play, 1988. Um, when they get into the backstory of the animatronics, um, one of the, the big, um, I suppose you can call them twists in this film. It's one of those films where the backstory, it's there. It doesn't really matter. The film is what it sure. is. Um, <laughs> right. I think it gets away with it. Uh, but this was, um, Willis Wonderman was cultivated by, as they describe in the film, uh, a sicko who cultivated other sickos into an almost, I don't know, cult almost, just so they could kill families and get away with it for the longest time. Sure. But um, before the SWAT teams could get them, they performed the satanic uh, cult ritual, transferring their souls out into the animatronics, uh, much like um, the doll Charles Lee Ray in Child's Play, who would then go on to. Um, go attack sort of the teenagers as you did in the 1980s if you were in a horror film it's just what happened um, that's right so uh i think a lot of influence there i mean maybe in some ways with the um with the uh up to date one from i think 2019 as well when it was less possession and more um just evil robot because i suppose until you realize it's all demon souls and all of that business you just think maybe it's it's robots going mad, gorillas in bathroom stalls, sirens in forest rooms <laughs> crawling around, um, <laughs> alligators in vents. Um, so I was seeing like a lot of child's playing there. Um, I think uh, obviously Chucky now is one of the the beloved horror characters of all time. Uh, spawned so many sequels and franchises and. Um, merchandise and all of that good business i don't know if the um animatronics have quite as much personality as chucky sure um, 
they are. Yeah, Chucky's one of the great characters. Yeah. They're defined enough in their own way. It's, um, sometimes it's just from the kills or <laughs> the different room they happen to be in when they try to beat Nicolas Cage. Um, I think personality-wise we get it mostly from Tito the Turtle. Um, <laughs> who is the uh, sombrero wearing, very unfortunate animatronic who gets knocked down and beaten up a few times. Um, I think he's the only other animatronic who is given a beating by someone who isn't Nicolas Cage, Liv, who is effectively this film's final girl. He gets sure. um, an unfortunate, an unfortunately hilarious beating with the. Uh, shotgun where he's begging for mercy going like uh, no more no more please like my boss no more um, which you can't like you can't help but smile um but yeah child's play for me i think was one of the um one of the first ones that i thought of when the film started coming together yeah great piece and uh by the way great job on the uh the preparation there for remembering the names of any of these uh animatronics because <laughs> i certainly didn't write them down but uh <laughs> thank you so i i'll go to another piece here and this one i think just kind of rolls right along with talking about child's play and talking about animatronic characters and it was definitely the very first thing i thought of when i saw the trailer for this movie and that's the banana splits movie from 2019 yeah which yeah they, now Strangely, because I, I think I am the right age range, but I didn't remember these Hanna-Barbera characters when this movie came out. Um, but apparently it was a major thing. Um, and and I can see the, the appeal of turning them into a hard R-rated, violent, gory, you know, crazy thing. I did not like this movie very much. And I would say like the lesser moments of Willy's Wonderland remind me very much of the Ban Banana Splits movie. It, it's almost like that movie features a lot of the exact same thing, just, you know, murderous giant animatronic characters in a, in a children's, you know, playtime place. The difference being a cage character. There, There's no like <laughs> real character in the Banana Splits uh, movie to really get behind and to root for and to be excited about him, you know, fighting back and all that. And so... That that's I think where that movie kind of like lost its way. It needed some kind of you know I don't want to call it a stunt casting, but it, you know it needed it needed some kind of character that like is undeniably you're going to be with the whole time and and be excited to see them kick ass, you know. And mm -hmm. who better than Cage for <laughs> sure? But I mean, really, just any kind of character that is like uh, charismatic enough to really want to to want to stick with and see you know survive the whole insane <laughs> ordeal. Definitely. Um, I mean, interestingly, the Banana Splits movie is one that I had noted as well. And it's, I think like you, um, I think what, this is one of those characters a bit before my time. I wasn't really aware of the Banana Splits or actually the film until doing some research for your podcast. Um, hmm. But I think one of the interesting parallels, um, and again, this goes back to people talking about video games at the top of the podcast, uh, the biggest parallel that uh, Woody's Wonderland had was the... Um, sort of allusions to Five Nights at Freddy's. Sure. Um, and that film has been in development for, I think, a number of years now. And um, I think who knows what's going on with that at the moment. Um, but I think everyone's been so eagerly awaiting that. And I think a lot of, uh, dare I say, um, I think I'll use air quotes here, a YouTube fan base have maybe sure. been looking at Willy's Wonderland as a substitute for Five Nights at Freddy's almost. Um, that makes sense. But I think on the back of that, I think a lot of people have 
missed the banana splits film like i didn't know it was a thing until earlier this week um oh wow when i was sort of looking into this so i'd uh, checked out some clips online some trailers it seemed to be a lot um gorier than i think i was anticipating i did watch a clip of a man being sawn in half and all the intestines coming out sure i think a little bit gorier than what we get with willie's wonderland um there is some gore there it's mostly animatronic uh oil blood if you want to <laughs> right <laughs> um, right if you want to call it that but um i think you know that's a crossover piece that i would definitely have for mine as well in the banana splits movie and i think it's so weird to take a try um I guess that's kind of the premise of when he's taking these beloved children's characters and just making them monstrous. It's like, um, you know, just taking your, your nostalgia and turning it against you almost. Um, it's deranged, but uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's perfect, though, because we are such a nostalgia-fueled uh, culture right now. And so it is perfect for... It, it's not really that surprising that we're getting multiple takes on the same kind of idea all, all at the same moment. And and by the way, speaking of Five Nights at Freddy's, that, that definitely belongs on the list of puzzle pieces here, even though I actually just, I don't really know what it is. I've never, <laughs> I'm too, I'm too old for that shit. I've never watched any of it. I, I, I wasn't even a hundred percent sure if it was a video game or a TV show or what exactly it was, but I just know that kids love it. And it's also very deranged. So. <laughs> uh, I think there's been, uh, I don't know, five games or so at this point. I, I think it is a very similar thing. You're in a amusement arcade place and you, you have to watch security cameras and make sure that the um, the animatronics aren't moving. Mm. And it's very, a lot of jump scares in there. Um, scares the shit out of these kids, right? <laughs> so, so the streamers tell me. Uh, so the streamers yeah. tell me. Um, but yeah, well, that definitely. sounds that sounds fun. I guess uh, I'm sure that movie will be a uh, major thing when it comes out. So, uh, what do you got for your next piece? Um, so again, I mean, I think for me, a lot of um, horror illusions on the puzzle pieces for me. Um, I although I couldn't pin down one installment in particular. Um, I have got Friday the Thirteenth noted down. Um, I think it may be part two, maybe th part three, very interchangeable when you sort of think about it. But I sort of look at that in the sense of, um, you know, this is a horror film, horror, horror comedy in Willy's Wonderland that ticks sure. a lot of boxes, knows to stick to a lot of tropes. And one of those tropes, of course, is the disposable teenagers. Um, yes. So we have um, six or so, I think, in total, with the inclusion of Liv. And with them, you get um, all your classic uh, horror teen stereotypes. You've got um, mm. the, the nice one, the horny one, sort of the brainy one, the sort of tough one, who are all sort of um, systematically picked off in different ways. And I thought, sure. you, know, uh, you know, what horror film sort of does that as well as Friday the 13th? Um, obviously, you get... Um, the classic horror trope, you know, the teens having sex, that means they're going to get killed. You know it, I know it. We all They're going to get at the worst of anyone, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, we get, um, I believe it's Kathy and Bob, who they get into the fun house, immediately wander off to the super happy fun room, which, as the film tells us, that's where all the killing happened, that's where the ritual happened, that's the one room... You're not supposed to go in. And I think Kathy says, you know, like, is it wrong that this room's making me so horny? And Bob's like, mm -hmm. oh, you're a freak freak. 
Um, and then good line, by the way. You're a freak, freak. <laughs> Not your regular freak. Let's make it very clear. This is the extra yes. special. Uh, you know, behind behind the boxes, freak, freak special edition. Oh, um, yeah. And I think that I think that are they the I don't know if they're in a ball pit, but it's like a swimming pool or something. And then obviously, you know, as you would in a horror film, the killer is watching. They because killers have a sixth sense for fornication. I don't know. Oh, yeah. um, Artie the alligator is just watching from the corner, um, <laughs> just getting closer. And then they're like, uh, I think Kathy's like, was that? Was he always in the corner? And then Bob points out, while well, he is decorated on the wall around the entire building, he is everywhere. <laughs> and then um, Artie the alligator uh, proceeds to quickly rip them to shreds. In one of the, um, I suppose the gorier kills for the teens. A lot of the other ones yeah. are dispatched fairly quickly, fairly un un unceremoniously. Um, but like I said, they're they're having sex, so that means that they've got to get it worse than anybody else. So. <laughs> I, yeah, we don't make the rules. We are just observers in, in this. This uh, is correct in this horror world. <laughs> I, I found it interesting as well because um, the actress who plays Kathy in the film actually tweeted a massive spoiler back in November about this scene and no one picked up on it. She'd retweeted something like, um, or quote tweeted, I should say, someone had put pictures of like an amusement arcade and said, oh, I miss places like this. And I'm sort of paraphrasing, but she quote tweeted it in November and said, this is giving me PTSD to the time I was killed by a demonic alligator. <laughs> and no one picked up on it. At all, um, until Snoops McGee over here comes and starts giving the scoop uh, over over on the Piece It Together podcast. So yeah, little Amazing. little scoop for you. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you if you cast her in your movie, she's gonna give shit away. People, let's let's uh, let's remember that. <laughs> That's great. Well, Friday the Thirteenth, yeah, great, great piece. And uh, I had considered putting it on my list for the exact same reason. It's just like it's the ultimate, you know. Unless you're going to like go to the meta thing of like Scream or something, it's like it's like the ultimate version of the slasher with like the stereotypical characters, teenage characters. So yeah, great piece there. Um, I'm going to go to uh, another horror comedy, one that I bring up way too much on this show, but it's very, very appropriate here. Uh, and that is the Evil Dead series and especially Evil Dead's hero, Ash, played by Bruce Campbell. And the reason why I bring this up uh, for the millionth time um, <laughs> is because one of my favorite things about Ash and the reason why he's just the best character ever is because he simply cannot die. Um, he, he can't even get hurt. And the, it, he's in this world with the deadites and various kinds of undead monsters. And they, as soon as they come into contact with someone else, they just shred them apart or tear the person's head off or, you know, whatever. They turn into a big pile of blood and goo, whatever it is. But Ash just gets kind of kicked around a little bit until Ash just destroys them you know and it, it's like it's a weird but fun little uh little characteristic that just makes you know that this guy is always going to win because he's just the best and how could he not win and they definitely are using a little bit of that with Nicolas Cage's janitor character here in Willy's Wonderland um at most he gets like a scratch on him during that first fight uh aside from that maybe he gets kicked into a wall or something once or twice but otherwise he just dispatches these 
monsters with like such ease <laughs> and they're just no match for him. And it, it really, I think it just adds to this heroic quality that you don't really get in a lot of horror movies. A lot of times it's just people surviving the night. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not people actually taking it into their own hands and just, you know, kicking ass. And that's what cage does here. Just like Ash does in those movies. Definitely. I mean, an, another crossover piece that I had, um, more specifically, the Evil Dead Two noted sure. down. I think that's when the series started to really stretch into horror comedy. Um, yeah. And I understand why you bring it up so much. Fantastic film. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Evil Dead uh, Two. Um, I think, like I said, obviously with Ash Williams, very much a survivor how no one knows um right. <laughs> it's just in his genes to survive obviously a lot goofier and a lot more one-liners than um than the janitor but they both have a way of just being able to survive relatively unscathed um i think in the janitor's case he takes um a little beating from G gus the gorilla in the bathrooms mm. uh, with and i don't know why that line of him like kicking into cage then going like gorilla greetings um, stuck with me. I don't know why that stuck with me, but this comes into the ridiculous kills that you get in both films. Um, as I, when I'm looking at Ash, you sort of think, you know, uh, work shared chainsaw on the hand. He's cutting through his re the reanimated corpse of his girlfriend in uh, the work mm -hmm. shed with Gus Good the gorilla. Nicholas Cage has taken a plunger and forcing it into this gorilla's face and getting him back against the wall. And it's this very um uh over animated kinetic fight that they have there's these like almost gopro shots from like a low angle looking up on both their faces as they're struggling in the bathroom sure <laughs> and and it gave me a lot of evil dead um vibes of when ash is just um uh scrambling to survive in a in, in any given situation um and I, th I think that was one for me when we're looking at horror comedy that was so apparent in this film um i haven't got an answer to it yet i did tweet geo parsons the writer um to see if an easter egg i think i picked up on is correct or not um when the teens turn up about half an hour in the film and they're splashing all the gasoline on willie's wonderland um mm. the first canister they have says like um chainsaw oil or chainsaw gas on it um ah. so I've, I've said you know i don't know if this is a stretch but Am I, you know, give me something, reward me. Um, I need, I need sure. attention. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, again, I think just be the style of the kills that we get. Um, and just the ridiculous nature of how he, you know, you think you'd just killed him, but that's enough. But, um, you know, there's the parallels in the characters. Obviously, they're both, in a way, the cars become a character, the Chevrolet for Nicolas Cage. I know he's got the... Uh, it's like a station wagon that he's got um, that becomes like a killing machine in in the third film. Uh, Oldsmobile, uh, I, I believe. I think it could be the the exact make escapes me. I'm terrible with cars. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, they're there to protect their cars. Obviously, Cage is there to handshake, deal, do the job. Um, it's funny how new Cage's car is in this, by the way, uh, <laughs> that it's got the touchscreen. Uh, it's like it's not some like old classic. It's got like the touchscreen uh, navigation system and all that. I don't know. I just found that funny. Yeah. I mean, th this is what I mean, though. Obviously, know nothing about the janitor um, and we can just imply, uh, imply and apply our own sort of meanings and stories to him. 
I mean, he's got the, the Chevrolet. He's obviously, at the end of the film, cranking up Freebird, because what kind of great film doesn't end on Freebird? Sure. Um, it kind of implies, you know, you know, maybe he's come from money. Um, you know, maybe... Although this, again, going into the comedy of the character for me, because he's there to do the job, he's there to clean up, just to get his car fixed, the animatronics for him are just an inconvenience. They're just in the way of, yeah. him, of him getting the job done, which I um, which I loved. And I'm sure, like Ash, the Deadites, a permanent fixture of his life and an inconvenience. They'd be better off without them. But here we are, and they're, uh, they're attached either way forevermore. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, what do you got for your next piece? Um, so looking again, this one was kind of, um, again, linked to sort of the horror comedy of things. And there was quite a few films I felt like could have gone with on this. But um, in a similar vein to Evil Dead 2, just the overall, I guess, just the ridiculousness of the premise, the ridiculousness of the situation, uh, the villains... Um, I, I'd lent towards Leprechaun 93 for this. Um, okay. And with this, I thought, you know, Leprechaun, he's got that kind of cult status about him, which I think um, with, with Willy's Wonderland, obviously, uh, however many people will see it because of the pandemic and its video on demand. But there's definitely scope for, whether they're necessary or not, sequels with Willy's Wonderland, I think. Um, sure. As I keep trying to pitch to Geo Parsons, uh, Willie's Wonder World, perhaps. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not scoping for a job. I'm just saying we're all hustling in the pandemic. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. um, but with <laughs> Leprechaun, obviously, we get a lot of um, ridiculous situations. Um, obviously, Jennifer Aniston uh, in it in a role she'd probably rather forget. But it makes oh, you yeah. think, <laughs> there's that scene where the leprechaun's in the wheelchair and just pursuing people. Um, and it's just, the ridiculous of Nat, I think it's very much overarching in, in, a, in Willy's Wonderland. And it plays a lot of it straight, I think, uh, for better or worse. But um, again, the absurdity of it all. And I think, I suppose like leprechaun, if you're not sort of, smiling just throughout it then then i don't know if the film is doing its job in the right way right right yeah the concept alone should be enough to just kind of give you give you what you need with that movie and yeah definitely th these are both uh uh just such ridiculous concepts and you you know going in there's no way this is going to be just straight horror you know it's going to be funny even though i don't think leprechaun was necessarily build as a horror comedy in the at the get-go even though they knew it was going to be funny and they knew everyone was going to get a laugh out of the fact that you know it's killer leprechaun but i mean <laughs> it's kind of kind of played somewhat straight you know and uh this i would say is certainly a little bit more played strictly for the laughs um but definitely you know coming from the same basic kind of place i think yeah yeah definitely um i think you know again it, it's kind of what what you have to go into this film knowing is that this is a film that knows what it is. It, it knows it's um, a strange concept. And I think, you know, the perfect way to enjoy this film is just to, um, and I know this might sound like a weird turn of phrase, just let the film happen. Um, sure. <laughs> and I think it's a weird thing to have to sort of caveat films sometimes, but it's one of those, don't try to analyze it. Um, don't look for meaning. Um, just sit back and drink the punch like Nicolas Cage and uh, <laughs> you'll get on with oh, this yeah. film. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I think that could describe uh, my next puzzle piece as well, uh, which is Peter Jackson's 1989 film, Meet the Feebles, which is just like a parody of the Muppets that is just insanely gory and over the top, just like (laughs) all of Peter Jackson's early work was. Uh, and I, I miss that Peter Jackson so much because those movies are all so much fun. Dead Alive is one of my, one of my all time favorites. Uh, but yeah, uh, crazy, you know, animated creatures that are killed in bloody gory, you know, (laughs) fashion. So I think it definitely, along with like the banana splits movie, along with like you're saying here with Leprechaun as well as child's play, I think they all kind of, uh, go together with bringing children's toys into this horrific R-rated uh, <laughs> violence and gore. Um, definitely. And I suppose just touching on what you said there, it's, um, you know, early Peter Jackson, where are you? Um, I think <sighs> you just, just bring us something ridiculous, some splatter fest. Um, oh, yeah. That we all miss. So like, okay, we get it. He did Lord of the Rings. He said on numerous occasions he wants to do it again one of these days. He's going to like take a break from whatever he's been up to uh, to do it. So uh, we can hope that it's going to happen. <laughs> I just love the idea that obviously there'll be an entire generation, a planet that knows him from the Lord of the Rings. And like, oh, the next big <laughs> Peter Jackson flick. And it's just... Um, it's another it's another meet the feebles <laughs> or something oh, like God. that and then they're all very very confused which i think will be oh yes wonderful wonderful to see. oh yes it will <laughs> well what do you got for your next piece um so again sticking on a similar vein here and i think this is one that the um the director has sort of been uh quite vocal and same as an influence um 1988 killer clowns from outer space um, sure I think in in terms of this one, um, on the face of it, uh, sort of similar in you've got these uh, strange characters. Obviously, these are the clowns that, um, spoiler alert, the title may give it away. They're from out of space. Um, yes, yes. They've come, <laughs> <laughs> they've come to Earth to sort of feast on humans as sustenance, and then it's up to sort of the local townsfolk to uh, take care of these. Um, quite grotesque looking uh looking clowns to uh save the day save the town and i think with the illusions that you know uh maybe not so much the teenagers but Liv is here to save the town nicholas cage basically just kind of stumbles into it and just goes about his day um mm-hmm. but when we're looking at um i think again ridiculous concepts um these memorable characters um you know, even now, I think we're looking at what thirty years later for Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I think sure. very recently they've been getting their own um, pop vinyls, so that they're coming back into the conversation now for um, for pop culture and all of that. Uh, on that side now, I've been calling for a Nick Cage pop vinyl for so long now, and if this isn't the film to do it, if he couldn't get one for Conair. If he couldn't get one for like adaptation um, or even face off, if not Willy's Wonderland, then when I beg, uh, my tangent over, but the point remains. <laughs> I'm shocked that there's not one. That's crazy. Of all of his classic roles, that is absolutely nuts. Yeah, it's it's mad. Um, I remember a, a friend of mine who I had on the podcast, Mike West. He said he'd emailed Funko, I think, about four years ago, but just got a. And you copy, you copy and paste generic response saying, "Oh, we have there's licensing issues and, and bits and pieces like that." But again, you just think um, 
whether they've been accepted in the mainstream or not, the, the amount of classic cage roles, that, the undeniable classic cage roles, and I won't say this from a, a biased perspective, uh, again, like Yukon Airs, your adaptations, even Mandy lends itself to... Sure, I was just going to say that. ...and pop vinyls. Um, but, you know, I think you, you'd look at a film like this and, again, I, I think like um, Killer Clans from Outer Space, this is a film that lends itself to that cult status. I think it's a film that's going to be very well looked after and housed in the horror community, and I think they will... It should have a cult status to it, so... Yeah. If I have to wait 60 years, uh, 30 years, and I'm in my 60s, I should say, and that's when I get the pop vinyl, um, then, you know, if that's the deal, then I'll take it. Yeah. Pre-order it right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to the piece, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, I haven't seen that since I was a kid when it scared the shit out of me. I, I wonder if kids now would be scared by Willy's Wonderland the way I was scared of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. <sighs> Yeah, I was actually sort of thinking about this when, in terms of the pieces, and I think, you know, I think we can look at it with a certain eye and think, you know, this film is what it is. It is. I don't know if anyone's going to get scared by it. Um, it feels like a lot of people have been sending Geo Parsons fan art, certainly. But it made me think, you know, certainly when I was putting Friday the 13th as one of my pieces for this, like, if a film like that was made today, would it receive the same acclaim? Would it be looked at in the same way? And uh, right. listed as the horror the slasher classics like i don't know i i kind of think that a lot of these would be viewed in a very like um very leniently not taken as seriously as horror could be but I sure the benefit of being made in the 80s i suppose i'm sure if willie's wonderland was made uh 87 88 um horror podcasts would still be talking about it today um oh yeah but there, but there we go. Hopefully it's cult status. That's that's the one thing I ask, <laughs> if nothing else. I could see it happening for sure. Um, my next puzzle piece is actually a cult classic, so good transition there. <laughs> Expert transition. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> Little Shop of Horrors. Um, I, I thought of that because of the way the, uh, the townspeople, mainly the sheriff here uh, in Willy's Wonderland, in the town that it takes place in, have cut this deal to feed the monsters almost like a tribute to them or or a uh like a sacrifice to them to get people into willie's wonderland to let them feast on them for whatever reason which i mean it's not 100 percent clear why they need to eat people or kill people <laughs> or whatever but yeah uh and of course in little shop of horrors um it, it's it's required for audrey to to feed and so they have to trick people in to uh to get them to eat and uh it was one of my favorite movies as a kid i haven't seen it since i was a kid though i should rewatch it one of these days definitely and i suppose you know heck maybe if uh willis wonderland had some musical numbers um although i suppose <laughs> it, it you know we've got nicholas cage in the basically uh the untold story of unrequited love with him and a pinball machine Oh yeah, um, it's like every time, as we were saying earlier, every time he takes the lunch break, he has another punch can. He's cleaning the uh, pinball machine a bit more, taking all this care with it. Um, and you know, I say this with the greatest respect. He's playing it at the end as that Willy's Wonderland song is playing, uh, made for the film. He is effectively dry humping it. I mean, each to their oh, own. Yeah. Um, twenty twenty has been a difficult year all round. Um, <laughs> do what you want. He, um, he makes choices, <laughs> <laughs> and none of them are wrong. I cannot That's stress right. this enough. That is um, right. 
But <laughs> in, apparently this was another scene with the pinball that um, Geo Parsons put in from my research. I think it's about, he said about 20 years ago, he actually met Nicholas Cage in an arcade. Um, they ended up playing, I think it was Virtua Tennis. Um, mm. So he put this in basically as an homage to the time that they met. Nick Cage went on to say he had no recollection of this meeting whatsoever. Um, he's done a lot of stuff in twenty years. Who can blame him? Yeah. Um, but a little, a, a little nod to their um, their uh, unknown history in the pinball machine as well. That is hilarious. <laughs> well, uh, what do you got for your next piece? Um, so I was kind of looking for something sort of out uh, a piece of outside horror necessarily and i was trying to think what that could be and um without necessarily pinpointing one film in particular i was sort of looking at the like the man with no name trilogy um obviously with clint eastwood now yes he speaks in it but there was kind of allusions to the character for me in the sense um obviously the man with no name with each of these films he's effectively drifting from town to town there's a situation he finds himself a part of there's a bad guy that happens to be in there um and then he finds himself intertwined in these situations and then by the end of the film he is um you know moving on to the next town um and there is kind of that sort of um that strong silent type um character um you know, whether he is a hero or an anti-hero, we only mm -hmm. see him in this particular situation. We don't always know that much about the backstory, what's going on here. But with just sort of the way that, you know, they can both handle themselves in a situation. Um, they're not sure. easily intimidated or scared. Um, I think it only would have been more obvious if Cage was wearing a cowboy hat or a poncho or something. <laughs> but it makes me think, you know, you know, what was he doing before the film? You know, why does he love the punch? And by the end of the film, where's he driving off to next? Where's he going? Is he just going to the next town? Um, because if he's not phased by animatronics coming to life, possessed by the souls of murderers and monsters, <laughs> um, then what, what has happened in his life to bring him to this point? There's just so much outside the frame that we don't know. We only see him in this chunk, you know, this hour, two hour, three hour chunk. Um, and I think it lends itself to, um, I guess, a fascination with the character because there's just, there's so much we can infer or think we might know about them and what they're going to do next. And I just think it's um, always such an interesting choice when we get that sort of, I suppose that intentional restraint, we're not sort of, gifted information on a plate here and sure. i just got that you know he swapped a horse for a chevrolet obviously um yeah, yeah a horsepower of a different kind um but he's moving on to that next town and it was just you know just giving me that kind of that classic western gunslinging vibe there i think I got to say, uh, the way that you describe this movie, Willy's Wonderland, actually makes me like it a little bit more. Um, <laughs> it's kind of infectious the way that you've described some of these elements. Um, yeah, I think I have to put out there. Um, I'm not. I'm not a paid sponsor of this film. I'm just a man who thinks Nicolas Cage is the greatest person on earth. Uh, I am right. hashtag not an ad. Let me stress that right now. <laughs> 
Well, I, I think Clint Eastwood is probably a uh, a big influence on uh, my final puzzle piece that I have here uh, listed, and that is the movie Payback with Mel Gibson as a guy. I I should have written it down. I forget the amount that he's after, but all he wants is his X amount of dollars. It's just some small amount, like. 10 grand or something like that. And, and he just kicks everybody's ass in the process of getting it. He's just a total badass. A lot of the things we've talked about, about this character that Nicholas Cage is playing, where he's just, you don't really know that much about him. You just know he's a badass and he is going to accomplish his mission <laughs> no matter what, <laughs> nothing's going to get in his way. And, uh, I, I just love that movie payback so much. I think it's just like the best of Mel Gibson and, um, so such a fun movie. And, uh, that character, is such a great character and and I think that it's uh very similar to like the kind of thing Clint Eastwood does very similar to the kind of thing Cage is doing here yeah definitely um I think again with actors uh maybe like your Mel Gibson's Nick Cage's it's easy to forget you know a, a lot of the roles that they have that are that are just so much fun um again I sort of look at it in the guise of Cage the 2010s especially Mm. not the greatest year we've got a few hits here and there you know we've got mandy that ekes through um for me the criminally underrated joe from 2013 which oh, a, yeah. lot of, a lot of people slept on um and this is some this is a term i've used to describe cage before and i hate the fact i have to use this term but it's joe especially is one of those films when you want to remind yourself that nicholas cage can act um, <laughs> that's that's a film I sort of love to love to point out there, um, sure. and it's it's um, a sign that it's not you know it's not all about repaying uh, debts and taxes for people like Cage. They still have fun in the roles, and they still do a great job in the roles as well. Um, which again, coming back to Willy's Wonderland, I think was the case for me. Like I think you can see he's having fun. I think oh, he yeah. said in a press release, it's not every day you get the opportunity to act with ostriches, alligators, and turtles. Um, and you're right, it isn't. I have no doubt <laughs> if the script was presented to me, I'd have, I would have leapt at it as well. I will say uh, it wasn't a puzzle piece, um, but you got to imagine that he is having fun when it was it Arnie the alligator, I believe, or uh, um, Artie the alligator. Yeah. Ar Artie the alligator when he breaks open his jaw, kind of King <laughs> Kong style. Uh, yeah. You you know Nick Cage is having fun doing that. Definitely, and I suppose that I think he's a big Godzilla fan. So I think when we talk about <laughs> Kong versus Zilla, I think he's on Team Lizard there. Oh um, boy. <laughs> Which I, th I think that's why we got a number of the animatronics as well. Um, he's a big um, reptile fan, which is sure. why we ended up getting like Artie the Alligator. And he suggested a few amendments. Uh, Nighty Knight, as the name suggests, he's a knight, was originally going to be a pirate. He went to Geo and said, uh, pirate, too cliche, make him a knight. Um, wow, that's pull right there. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's star power, baby. And don't oh, forget yeah. It. Don't Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage says he wants <laughs> it to be a knight. Um, <laughs> well, do you have any other puzzle pieces left? Uh, those were the main ones for me um, outside of horror. The only other main one was one which I've unfortunately not seen. Um, an early 80s um, Toby Hooper film, The Fun House, um, which um, from what I've researched in the, in the build-up to this, takes place in a fun house there's 
a not quite human, not quite monster figure that's um, stalking them through the uh, the spooky ghost ride. Um, mm. Those plucky, overconfident teens who I'm sure, sure won't be so plucky by the end of it. Um, I watched the trailer for it, and it's that classic, that booming voice, like, um, these teens are on the ride for their life, um, which <laughs> in that schlocky way does make me really want to watch it. Yeah, um, I bet. I bet it's. I bet it's pretty. Uh, pretty ridiculous, if nothing else. <laughs> it looks ridiculous, and it look. That's probably why I'm going to go and seek it out. So, um, like I say, to my discredit, I haven't seen it. But um, in terms of setting and what we're getting here, um, some similarities with the Funhouse, which I think would be um, sort of my final uh, final piece to offer there on this one. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I, I need to see that as well. I've never seen it, but uh, based on you know, the title and description of the movie. I mean, I'm sure it's uh, right up the alley of this kind of <laughs> this kind of thing. So I will go ahead and do the finished puzzle, and then we'll get into some closing thoughts here on Willy's Wonderland. We talked about video games, of course, to start the thing off, and then Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, House on Haunted Hill, Child's Play, the Banana Splits movie, Five Nights at Freddy's, Friday the 13th, the Evil Dead series, Leprechaun, Meet the Feebles, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Little Shop of Horrors, The Man with No Name trilogy, Payback, and The Fun House. So obviously, you know, lots of animatronic monsters getting bashed to bits by <laughs> heroes here. But, um, you know, a lot of horror, a lot of comedy. And uh, yeah, this is like we've said, this is a movie you kind of, you know what's on the cover is exactly what you're getting once you get into the movie. It's, it's exactly that kind of a thing. Um, did you have any specific, uh, you know, major points that we didn't quite get to while going through puzzle pieces? Not particularly. I think like we've been alluding to, you know, uh, this film is quintessentially what it says on the tin. Um, it's Nicholas Cage beating up animatronics. Um, I know, uh, and obviously no pun on my own sort of show name, a lot of cage rage is sort of thrown around to describe this. Um, mm -hmm. I think this is one of those films, and you sort of know them when you start watching the cage backlog. Um, I think when a film, when Nick Cage in a film, I should say, can meet each other and they have a similar energy, I think that's when cage is utilised the best. There are some mm -hmm. times when cage is used, I think, because they're expecting uh, the full Cage experience, um, and it's Cage because Cage. Um, this is a film that utilizes him. Like I say, he has no dialogue at all. Um, it's been a bit of a. I think some people have been a bit put off by it. Some people loved it, but I think it really works in the context of the film. Um, and again, it's a big. Uh, this is this is a film that gloriously knows what it is. It's a big um, B movie horror comedy throwback, over-the-top, dumb fun. It knows what it is. It's not trying to be anything else. Um, I don't think you're going to see it on the, on the long or short lists in the major awards um, <laughs> next year. Criminally um, neglected, sure. of course. But there's no reason for me why this film won't go on to be um, a cult classic, especially in the um, in the the hierarchy of horror as well. Um, if you couldn't tell, I really enjoyed it, um, and I think it's just a great film. Just to sit down, forget about the world for ninety minutes. Doesn't outstate. Welcome, a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, you enjoy it too. Yeah, and and just to kind of echo what you were just saying right there. I I mean, 
that there is, you know, of course, good cage, the, uh, you know, you know, the undeniably great movies. And then there's crazy cage and a lot of movies kind of, you know, they don't go all the way to the crazy cage level, you know, and I think that this one, this one approaches it definitely. I mean, you know, a, a movie like, uh, you know, Mandy or, um, you know, I guess to a degree, mom and dad, which I know a lot of people liked, I didn't really love. I'm not sure where you fall on that one. Uh, last year, jujitsu was just awful, but of course, Cage wasn't really in it barely at all. And, you know, it was just kind of sold on his presence. Um, but it's like certain movies, you're getting that crazy, crazy, insane Cage and certain movies, you're, you're, they're just really not going there. They, they hire him. They maybe write some stuff for him to, to yell or whatever, do like some kind of like craziness, but they don't, they don't quite take it where it needs to be to really, truly be a fun time that could get that kind of cult status. And yeah, I think that this is one that is going to, um, kind of live on and i would love to see it with a crowd like you know that's yeah. something yeah. i i just said that about psycho gorman last week uh that, that's a movie <laughs> that this would be a good double feature with by the way but uh i i would love to see that with a crowd one day uh once life goes back to something resembling normal <laughs> <laughs> hopefully so i mean i would love to see this one as well um I say, to my discredit, I've not seen Jujutsu yet, although I did weirdly win a Blu-ray copy in a Twitter competition, so I have it. I will get around to watching it. It mm. looked like a film where, Cage, you get what's in the trailer, and that's about it. That's um, right. Again, with Mom and Dad, if you want to see the greatest delivery of the word motherfucker in your life, <laughs> um, that, <laughs> that is the film for you. Um but uh, again, it gets think... one star for that alone. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we're talking about Cage Rage, from everything I'm reading, apparently Prisoners of the Ghostland is the film to go to. From oh, what exciting. I'm reading about it, um, unfortunately, we couldn't get access to the Sundance screening in the UK. Although I am aware he screams the word testicle, five stars from me. I will not comment on the matter any further. <laughs> Well, I think that about does it for <laughs> Willie's Wonderland. Uh, is there another movie you watched recently that you liked that you'd maybe want to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I think you can probably tell where I'm going with this. I wouldn't be doing my job as a Cage podcast if I didn't recommend a Cage film. Sure. Um, so I, th I thought I would recommend something which is the old, um, you know, let's not forget that Cage is a good actor. Is he interested in realism? Not really. Um, but um, the easiest choice would be adaptation, um, sort of the critically acclaimed um, film from 2002. And as I say in my podcast, Daniel Day-Lewis, who stole the BAFTA from him in 2002, you're a, oh, yeah. you're a cur, you're a ne'er-do-well, you're a vagabond, you have no place <laughs> on my show. Um, also, one another Cage film which I felt was quite underrated, um, Matchstick Men in 2003. Um, I think that was a great Cage performance. And it's one of those films where, um, in a similar way to adaptation, you watch that film and you're invested in the character and you kind of, you forget that you're watching Nicolas Cage um, because he's obviously in the back of your mind, he's so well known for, as we've been saying, the full Cage experience, the screams, the over-the-top acting, the physicality. This is another one where he's played to his strengths. You forget you're watching Nicolas Cage and you just enjoy watching a great film with a great character. So um, yeah. adaptation, Matchstick, Matchstick Men, um, hopefully you'll enjoy those. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, adaptation is my number one favorite movie of all time. Like, oh, it's, it's the best. 
It's the best movie ever. Um, <laughs> and Matchstick Men is on my rewatch list for this year. I haven't seen it since it came out. Um, I'm very much looking forward to rewatching. I just actually rewatched uh, Bringing Out the Dead for the first time since the theater. Um, fantastic. What a, what a movie. Add that to those two right there. <laughs> um, so. just, just put all of Cage's films on there. You're selling yourself yes. short. Get them, get them all true. on the rewatch list. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, uh, why don't you tell people again where they can find your podcast? Yeah, so you can find me on uh, the old Twitter machine at cage underscore podcast. I'm usually pretty active on there. I'm usually on Twitter when I should be working from home. Don't tell my employer. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm also on a Instagram at cage rage pod. Um, and between the two, you can find the link tree on there where the podcast is streaming on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podchaser, Stitcher, Deezer, Acast, and all the other ones. Uh, feel free to uh, get in contact to let me know what you think about uh, The Cage. And it, it's and I know it will be a nice opinion. Obviously it will, because it's the greatest actor of all time. Uh, of yeah, find me on there. We'd love to, love to chat to you. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This was great. And uh, the the one question I guess I have to ask at the end, I I, I always look forward to having people back on the show. Uh, is it going to be another Cage movie next time or or maybe uh, something else next time? I guess that'll be up to you. But um, uh, You know, <laughs> if Nick Cage can break the rules, then so can I. Uh, we'll, we will see what happens <laughs> when it happens. I'm Christy. And I'm Jackie. And we are Killer Fun. We explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. For as long as people have been communicating, they have been talking about who did what to whom, and is that socially acceptable? Because the boundaries of society, crime, and entertainment have always gone hand in hand. The more salacious, the weird, the better. From books and movies, to television shows and games, we look at how life and art imitate and inform one another. And we can't get together and not laugh. So let's face it, there's going to be laughing. <laughs> Killer fun is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. So join us. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Willie's Wonderland. Thank you so much to Daryl for joining me for that one. Uh, I'm looking forward to recording a episode on his podcast soon. So make sure to check out the Cage Rage podcast and look out for that episode when that comes out. So that does it for today's episode of Piecing It Together. If you like what you've been hearing here, make sure you are subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really like what you're hearing, you can uh, rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And you could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And then if you really, really like what we're doing here, uh, check out our Patreon. We have the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I combine content from my music career, as well as piecing it together, of course, as well as Awesome Movie Year, and all the other podcast and music-related stuff that I am involved with. So check that out. It's patreon.com slash Rosen. Lots of great content over there. And uh, also, speaking of Awesome Movie Year, they are currently up for a award right now so it would be awesome if you uh voted for that i'll put a link in the show notes but it's the uh, smipa self-made indie podcast awards for best movie related podcast and i think we have been putting together a really nice show over there so you know hopefully you're all checking that out but also uh maybe go maybe go vote for awesome movie here and 
let them know just how much you love Awesome Movie Year. And whatever other podcasts are on the nominees that you enjoy, make sure to throw some votes those ways as well. So let's close this thing out with a piece of music like I always do. And let me tell you, did I find the perfect piece of music to play? Um, so those of you who listen to the show all the time know most of my music is, you know, instrumental, kind of dramatic, electronica, uh, ambient, alternative, film score type stuff. But I also have done a lot of stuff in the world of rap music, as well as comedy music. And uh, I don't play that stuff too often, but... Uh, there was a time I've played songs by this rapper Skydro here on the show before and Skydro back when I was working with him introduced me to these people who had this thing called the party pals which is very much like the characters in Willy's Wonderland uh, and, and it was these big animatronic uh, costumed dinosaurs and, and other kind of animal creatures that would dance around and do songs and, and all that stuff. And I actually produced uh, a handful of songs for them. Uh, this was something I was hired to do back in the early stages of my career. And uh, there are two songs that were 100% just me. Uh, I wrote them, obviously did the music, but I'm also the rapper on them. And they named me Rockasaurus for these. And uh, I usually only play one song at the end of an episode, but I mean, when am I going to get another chance to play these? So I'm going to play just back to back. These are the two songs that I'm the rapper on. Uh, the first one is called In Your Hands, and the other one is Safety Pals. And there were videos for these that they put together with people in, like I said, dinosaur costumes, just dancing around with kids. And these are like safety rap songs. And they're absolutely ridiculous. I don't know what happened to the party pals. There, there used to be a lot of info about them online. If you did a little Googling, you'd find some of the videos of their events and stuff like that. Uh, hopefully the people involved have all gone on to do some interesting exciting stuff uh i i have no idea but we are left with some very interesting fun songs so these are party pals songs uh by me so enjoy them and we'll be back with more piecing it together coming up real soon this is a safety pals and party pals public service announcement so spread the word, kids! Let's go! Across the street at the corner I've wandered I'll play with matches and fire It will scorch you! Rockasaurus With words and a plan Just remember that your life is, is in your hands! Across the street at the corner I've warned ya Don't play with matches and fire It will scorch you! Rockasaurus With words and a plan Just remember your life is, is in your hands! Cause if it looks like it would hurt you There's a chance that it could get hurt Cause you're not careful of no good You gotta wear your helmets and your safety pads And Michael told you who's bad But I'ma tell you what's bad If you don't listen close They're gonna wish you had Cause if you ever get hurt the party pals will be sad and so will your mom and dad too so listen to the lessons and be safe when you do what you do across the street at the corner i've warned you don't play with matches and fire it will scorch you rockasaurus with words and a plan just remember that your life is in your hands across the street at the corner i've warned you don't play with matches and fire it will scorch you rockasaurus with words and a plan just remember
of your life is in your hands There's a lot of things in life that can be fun to do But getting hurt when having fun is never fun for you You gotta play it safe kids and take my word Cause if you mess with fire then you're gonna get burned Don't touch electrical sockets without your parents nearby Cause if you're not careful then you can fry And you can even die if you're not paying attention And it's a whole lot worse than after school detention And I can't forget to mention scissors and sharp things Safety service knows it when you cut yourself it stays And you should listen to your parents and all the safety pals kids Cause if you get hurt you're also gonna get grounded Across the street at the corner I've warned you Don't play with matches and fire It will scorch you Rockosaurus with words and a plan Just remember that your life is in your hands Across the street at the corner I've warned you Don't play with matches and fire It will scorch you Rockosaurus with words and a plan Just remember your life is in your hands Across the street at the corner I've warned you Don't play with matches and fire It will scorch you Rockosaurus with words and a plan Just remember that your life is in your hands Across the street at the corner I've warned you
160 pounds, it's all the same when it comes to water safety, it ain't no game, yo. Party pulls and 60 pounds, it's all the same when it comes to water safety, it ain't no game, yo. Party pulls and 60 pounds, it's all the same when it comes to water safety, it ain't no game, yo. Party pulls and 60 pounds, it's all the same when it comes to water safety, it ain't no game, yo. This is a safety pals and party pals public service announcement. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.